You know, when I was a kid, after that movie came out, I used to sing, My Fart Will Go On. And I thought it was the funniest shit. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Good times. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine. How are you? How are you? Now that's all I can hear. <laughs> I'm going through the song in my head. Before I believe that my fart will go on. <laughs> <laughs> is not helpful with me having allergies and sounding like a little kid right now anyway like hello <laughs> so what's up how are you i'm fine cool Go. i wish your allergies weren't so bad me too that sucks i want to die no you don't claritin claritin is helping that's good not a lot but enough <laughs> enough to make it livable unfortunately I'm a millennial. I, you know, we all want to die. That's just <laughs> our lot in life. Welcome to the strange and unusual, <laughs> yes. where we discuss the strange and unusual. You want to try this that again a- without the laugh? No. Okay. Welcome to the strange and unusual, where we discuss the strange and unusual. This is episode 111 of our series, seeking out the weird, the unexplained, and the devious from around the world. I'm Roya. And I'm Casey. And tomorrow marks the 110... Wow, nope, that's not what it says. (laughs) Tomorrow marks 110 years since the sinking of the Titanic. So today, that's what we'll be talking about. If you'd like to, you could follow us over on our various social medias. Um, we've got patreon.com slash strangeunusual, and then you can, um, we're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, um, all with various strange and unusual, strange and unusual podcast setups. Um, all of this will be at the end of the episode in more detail, as well as in the show notes. I. That's me and my yieldy ship talk. Okay, you're getting in character. Yeah. You're method acting. I got it. That's me. That's what I do. <laughs> I feel like a fucking Titanic expert after re- the research I did on this episode. I want you to know, I cut out so much of what I wrote down, and I still have 13 pages of notes. I was desperately trying to find more information, and I have three pages. Yikes. So let's rock and roll. <laughs> well, who should go first? Um, well, I think you should, because... Death? Uh, well, not just that, I mean, like, spoiler alert, the ship sinks. <laughs> but, uh, I think yours might make more sense to go first and then talk about mine, since mine is a survivor of the Titanic. Okay. Wee-woos! Mass death! Descriptions of mass death, including child death, pet death, drowning, freezing and hypothermia, suicide, discussions on body decomposition... Ships sinking? (laughs) Nazis? Yeah, no. Surprise there. Uh, Capitalism, classism, racism. It's it's 1912, guys. (laughs) All right. So the morning of April 5th, the White Star liner ship, the Titanic, was sucked under the waves of the North Atlantic, leaving over 1,500 people dead in the water. Literally. The ship of dreams became the ship of nightmares. (laughs) Good lord. I talked about a little bit when we were doing the episode on the unsinkable Molly Brown back in December, but uh, today we're talking uh, about the more sinkable passengers. 
and <laughs> what may or may not have happened to their remains. So how many were wearing life vests? Uh, who died of hypothermia before they were discovered floating on the surface? How many sank, drowning as the ship was sucked below the waters to its final resting place two miles below the waves? How many died of injuries or fell to their deaths? The answer to all of these questions is, we don't really know for sure. That's it. That's the episode. <laughs> the most you just made your font really big <laughs> to get in those 13, 13 pages. So the most fascinating part of this research for me was the fact that we're 110 years in and there's still so much that we don't know about what happened and we will likely never know what happened for sure um it's easy enough to think duh davy jones locker but it's actually not that simple um here's what we do know there were nearly 2200 people on board the titanic as it set sail only around 700 survived there were less than 350 bodies recovered from the wreckage of the sinking ship only 25% of the Titanic's third-class passengers survived, and of that 25%, only a fraction were men. And by contrast, about 97% of the first-class women survived the sinking of the Titanic. Hmm. We also know that the number of lifeboats on board was woefully inadequate. Yeah. The ship was, at, its time of her, at the time of the launch, uh, the largest object to ever move across the water at 852.5 feet in length, 92.5 inches across inches feet across and i put two dashes instead of one it's very small. <laughs> that would be a very slim boat it's very long very small that's it's why like, it's just long. a very big pencil that's <laughs> <laughs> why they couldn't fit so many uh lifeboats, lifeboats on it <laughs> and uh 59.6 feet deep from the waterline to deck around the, which is about the same height as that walking gundam that was built in yokohama for a reference I, that's the specific reference for our weeb fans. <laughs> uh, it also weighed something like 40 to 50,000 tons, which is important both now and later. Uh, we know that the number of lifeboats on the ship was, wo- like I said, woefully inadequate for the number of passengers. There were only about 20 in total. 16 were full-sized and four were collapsible, which would have held only about 1,100 people, a little bit more than that. A little over half passengers on board that night and about a third of the people if it was if the Titanic had traveled at full capacity of 3,320 passengers. The original design would have actually had 40, 48 lifeboats in total. But J. Bruce Ismay, a complicated rich boy character we could get into later if we so desire, decided the deck would look too cluttered. I also found out there were other reasons for this decision other than just the but the view scenario. One was that this was a well-traveled area, and in an ideal scenario, which we'll also get into, uh, would, sorry, hold on, uh, was really also really fucking interesting, by the way. The boats wouldn't have been used as a, we're sitting in water f- waiting for a rescue situation, but more of a ferrying people back and forth to the rescuing ship because no one was ever that far away. Um, number two is that they actually had exceeded the number needed by regulation. Essentially, this outdated law was written to account for how many, how much a ship weighed, not how many people were on board. So the law just was just so outdated that it maxed out at 10,000 tons, only four to five times less than the Titanic. You know, no big deal. We only need 20 lifeboats. It's totally fine. So let's start with how it all went down, literally. Some of this may be a refresher from my Maggie Brown episode, where I mentioned that the number of errors there or there were a number of errors to blame for the events of April 14th. But bear with me. Let's look at the ship's 
da, 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 da. manifest of mistakes. <laughs> Mistake number one, the delay. The Olympic, one of the Titanic sister ships, was the one you actually see in a lot of the footage when talking about the Titanic. Uh, that had been struck by a Navy vessel, the HMS Hawk, and needed repairs. Because the company didn't want to deal with the loss of revenue from the Hawk or from the Olympic, um, it was rushed to Belfast, where the Titanic was currently being built, and it uh, took precedence over the finishing of the Titanic. So the Titanic's maiden voyage was actually pushed back something like three weeks into April, which was prime time for icebergs in the North Atlantic. It's also worth noting that the ice was especially bad that year. One expert I saw was saying that the um, ice, I don't want to say ice age because that's not what it is, like the period of where there were a lot of icebergs around would normally bring about 125 icebergs into the water of the North Atlantic. That uh -huh. year saw over 400. Wow. It had been ex especially warm in Greenland and there was a lot of like packing of snow that saw several icebergs leave. Mistake number two, the fire. <laughs> yes. You heard me right. That, that does sound like a mistake. <laughs> the Titanic was on fire from basically the start. Oh, good. Coal was used as fuel for these giant ships, for the engines. Before they left the first port in Southampton on April 10th, the fire had already been burning for at least a week in one of the coal bunkers. Coal <laughs> bunker number five. Um, but some have even speculated that it may have been going on for as long as three weeks beforehand since it left Belfast, basically. Um, the crew was told to keep this fact quiet, and basically none of the passengers knew that there was a fire below. I also found out this wasn't an uncommon thing for ships like this, and the crew did what was expected of them at the time, which is digging out the coal and using the burning coals as fuel as they went. But the fire was intensely hot, around 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit, according to the Discovery Channel documentary that I watched called Titanic Conspiracy of Failure. <laughs> And uh, that heat over days and days and days was enough to warp the steel wall of one of the bulkheads that was meant to protect the ship from sinking. Mistake number three, the speed. Captain Edward Smith and many other captains liked to go balls out in speed, especially at the beginning of trips, so that they would have that extra time in pocket if they needed um, to get caught up later from fog or ice. These ships catered to a lot of really highfalutin clientele even though most of their profits were actually made off of the immigrants and third-class passengers. But it would be hugely embarrassing for a company if they were to arrive late at port. Uh, I prefer dead. Uh, I prefer, sorry. I tend to prefer late to dead, but, you know, that's just me. Uh, they would have arrived on schedule at an average of 18 knots, but the captain maintained an average of 22 knots. And now that's only about 25 miles per hour. But when you're steering a 46,000 ton ship, that's nearly as long as the Empire State Building is tall. That's a lot of velocity to control. So mistake number four, the radio. And the Marconi company was on board, actually contracted by White Star to work the wireless. And they were paid to send out messages for passengers on board, as well as being the ones transmitting messages to the captain, um, I'm I'm playing with this little like stress thing as I'm talking and it's making farting sounds. I swear to God, it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> My fart will go on. <laughs> and, uh, on and on and, and on and on. on. <laughs> I'm setting this down so I stop doing that. Um so they were paid to take to do messages for passengers, but they were also in charge of taking all of the important messages coming in and going out for other ships. Urgent messages for the voyage were coded with a specific set of letters. 
And if they weren't coded correctly, they weren't immediately handed off to the captain. Captain Smith had received messages earlier that day that Isa had uh, was was getting worse and to keep a lookout. So Smith actually navigated slightly further south before going west, but unfortunately was headed directly for that infamous 10 million ton iceberg. Hey, can we pause here for yes. a second? I need to run to the bathroom real quick. Okay. I'm going to mute you so you don't hear any cat bullshit or whatever. Yeah, whatever. She's going to talk about me to Elise and say mean things. I just don't know it. <laughs> You're here. That my fart will go on. Once more, you open the door. <laughs> fart will go on. Sorry about that. That's all right. Everybody poops. Yeah, I was sitting here and I was like, maybe it's just a fart, and then it wasn't. <laughs> I have to. Your I fart did go. not go on. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I was talking about the radio. So that evening, the Masaba, a ship on the same course as the Titanic, radioed to warn the Titanic about the severity of all the ice, um, but did not give that special code. So it wasn't a priority and the operator just kept on with passenger traffic. Um, And I'm not even sure that that note ever made it to the captain. About an hour later, the Californian, which was only about 10 to 20 miles away, which is important later, um, they also tried to radio in saying that they had been stopped completely by the amount of ice in the water. At that time, the operators aboard the Titanic were trying to radio to Newfoundland, like 400 miles away. And so all of their radio sets were like cranked way up. So when the Californian called from only 10 miles away, it was stupid fucking loud. (laughs) So the Titanic like cut them off. Uh, The operator was saying, shut up, shut up. I'm busy. I'm working Cape Race. And so the urgent code was never attached to the message. If the message was taken down at all. And the operator of the California basically said, fuck, fine, fuck you, I'm going to bed. Like, I'm, I'm, I want to imagine what that guy feels like the next morning when he finds out what happened. Like, was he like, man, I should have kept trying to call them? Or was he like, no, those guys told me to fuck off. I don't know. Couldn't find that anywhere. Anyway, mistake number five, human error. So Captain Edward Smith suffered from no small amount of hubris. He actually captained the Olympic, which had, as I mentioned before, been crashed into by a Navy warship, and he's the whole ship survived. Uh, they didn't sink. So he was confident in the White Star ships. The There are like statues erected to this dude, like he's some kind of hero. Um, he kept the ship going full speed despite ice warnings. Uh, he didn't give any general abandoned ship order, so a lot of people didn't know what was going on. There was no plan for evacuation. He canceled lifeboat drills. There was no public address system. Kind of a shitty douchebag, in my opinion. The president of the company, um, Ismay, who I was talking about earlier, there's some speculation that he was actually pressuring Smith to go faster, mm. um, which there's debate about. And we'll get into that a little bit later, too, as I talk about the inquiries. <clears throat> but so anyway, going full speed ahead, the lookouts Frederick Fleet and Reginald Lee are in the crow's nest watching out for dangers on the water. It was described as a perfectly clear night with the stars and moon providing a surprising amount of light, 
there were no waves, and the lookout didn't see anything. Because if there weren't waves, you can't see them crashing against icebergs. As well as, and I don't understand exactly how this part works, but there's essentially what's called a miraging haze on the water. So the guy in the Conspiracy of Failure uh, documentary basically explains it as the way light bends, like the way a pencil looks behind a glass of water as you move it. But what happened is the lookout weren't able to see the iceberg until they were basically right on top of it. So... They Oh, by the way, they also didn't have binoculars, just to throw that out there for you. Oh, yeah, that's not important. So the the lookout, Frederick Fleet, famously yelled, Iceberg, right ahead! Um, the bell was rung three times, and Officer William Murdoch had the bridge. He was alerted of the iceberg directly in front of them, and turned the, the ship with a hard left, throwing the engines in reverse to turn the boat, and remember that velocity I mentioned? Yeah, it was too late. The worst part is it's likely that if they had hit the iceberg head on, they probably wouldn't have nearly the amount of damage. The ship might have survived, if nothing else, certainly long enough to get everybody to safety. Um, They were made to like cut through water and ice. Um, As they sideswept the berg around 1145 p.m. on April 14th, it essentially unzipped the starboard side of the ship, which leads us to our next mistake. But real quick... As all of these things are happening, some people started opening their portholes to look out the, at the commotion and see what was going on. And if they had been left open while the sinking was happening, that would have allowed water to pour into those rooms and on those decks even faster and certainly speed up the sinking process. So that's just something to add to human error for later. Mistake number six was design. The metals weren't all capable of withstanding both the below freezing temperatures of, I think it was like 28 degrees Fahrenheit that night, which was um, negative two Celsius in the water. Um, They couldn't stand being that cold as well as collision. The temperature made some of those rivets holding the steel together so brittle that when it hit the iceberg, it just ripped open and exposed uh, one third of the lower half of the ship to water. And also those watertight bulkheads, they don't go all the way up to the top deck. They stopped at E deck. So they weren't even that helpful after they got to a certain level. So we out here fucked. (laughs) Uh, Below, um, the iceberg was fairly glancing. Like, people didn't really notice that that there was a change. Few people in the lower levels noticed, um, but those towards the bow would have felt it more um, than the stern portion. Some felt little more than a light jostle. Some noticed vibration in chandeliers or glasses of water, but few really knew anything had happened. One third class passenger that I heard about from a recent episode of Tasting History was uh, Daniel Buckley, and he was in that bow area and he did feel the blow. He put on his life belt and headed up to the top where people were acting like nothing was wrong. In fact, it was mentioned that uh, another third class passenger who'd felt or heard something like people started to pop up wearing their life belts and were told to take them off because they were causing a scene. (laughs) I should also mention that Buckley survived to tell his story saying that he had been helped or he he was helping an officer get people into lifeboats when he was told basically, hey, get in while you can. And then as people were coming around to take men out of lifeboats, he was hid under a rug by a woman who told him, lay down, lad, you are someone's child, which likely saved his life. Um, and we know how it ends. The ship sank just after 2 a.m. on April 15th with a insane number of casualties. The radio operator was sending out all kinds of distress signals and went down with the ship. 
Um, many were acknowledged, but most ships that responded were simply too far away to do anything about it. So the Carpathia shows up two hours later to collect the survivors. Bish, bash, bosh. Here we are. The Californian, which was only 10 to 20 miles away, remember? Could have gotten there so much sooner, but the operator had gone to bed. I put shrug emoji here. <laughs> um, the Californian didn't even learn of the sinking until 530 that morning. We don't know a lot about what happened in those final moments, but according to some survivor testimonies, bands continued to play music to entertain guests. They eventually even moved out onto the ship's deck to entertain passengers getting onto lifeboats. There's conflicting information about how long they perform, you know, that whole the band played on thing. Yeah. Um, and some there's some account of like different songs they were playing, either the song Autumn or Nearer My God to Thee, but none no musician survived the Titanic sinking. Many passengers wanted to stay on board the Titanic, thinking that the risk was safer than a lifeboat. One survivor reported running through third class um, in the general room, like their big dance and hanging out area, uh -huh. uh, where he said it was empty, save a mother playing the piano to calm her child, apparently resigned to their fate. Jeez. Eight distress rockets had been fired over the course of the evening and were probably seen by the nearby Californian, but there was no maritime regulation for the rockets at the time. So it's possible they were just like, hey, they're doing fireworks. <laughs> like, <laughs> they, there was nothing to like determine what those were, or they might have just not known who they were coming from because the Titanic had told them to fuck off. So yeah. on April 17th, the Mackie Bennett was chartered by White Star and sent out from Halifax and Nova Scotia. Um, on a body recovery mission, outfitted with embalming fluid, coffins, and heavy canvas bags. It didn't arrive for a week. Bodies had been scattered by currents and winds, exposed to the elements, and nommed on by marine life and scavenger birds. The, yeah. the description of the scene including uh, included floating wreckage, doors, pillows, deck chairs all around, and, quote, white fragments dotted the debris, clustering and moving along the waves like flocks of seagulls. These were dead passengers and crewmen in their white life belts. The Mackie Bennett recovered 306 bodies, but around 340 total would be recovered, most of which were third-class passengers or crew, including children. Three people were actually discovered in a lifeboat about 200 miles away a month later. Many were so badly mutilated, um, having been cut up and battered by the wreckage or shriveled from osmosis, discolored by decomp or bleached from the sun, that they were unidentifiable. So they were put in those canvas bags with heavy iron and given a burial at sea. 166 bodies were given this treatment. If you really want a bad day, you can check out encyclopediatitanica.org and uh, look at their list of the dead and how many bodies were never recovered. That was not fun for me. <laughs> if you were identified or potentially identifiable, you were embalmed and put in a coffin and then taken back to Halifax where the John Snow Company... Um, funeral home would prepare a burial for you. Uh, something like five, 150 of Titanic's dead were buried in Halifax, and half of them were never identified. This is where I went down this rabbit hole about the official uh, US and British inquiries about the topic, but they don't really pertain to what I'm talking about today. Uh, and I cut out a lot of these notes. But I will highlight some really shitty people involved and how Joseph Goebbels uh, actually used the events as anti-Jewish propaganda for the Nazis in a 1943 film, Titanic. Leave it to the Nazis. <laughs> he was like, I told you about uh, shitty rich boy Ismay. Yeah. He was basically like, he was a power hungry Jew leaving everybody to die. And I was like, whoa, that's 
you're that's a stretch dude yeah it's pretty unfortunate how good nazis are at marketing yeah so we could talk about it at the end if you're feeling spicy but you can read all the transcripts at titanicinquiry.org if you're interested it's what is important from those transcripts is the discrepancy about the number of bodies seen the u.s hearing began on april 19th and the british hearing on may 2nd during these formal testimonies the captain the captain of the Carpathia only claimed to have seen a single body, which he didn't pick up because he didn't want to cause a scene, allegedly. <laughs> Meanwhile, other ships that went through the area claimed that there were literally fields of bodies. The Bremen, for example, was a German passenger liner and reported to the Chicago Daily Tribune on April 24th, the, uh, the, the, the article starts with Captain Wilhelm and passengers of the Bremen, uh, which arrived today from Bremen, uh, reported that between three and four o'clock last Saturday afternoon, while in the vicinity of where the f- Titanic foundered, his vessel plowed through fields of bodies of victims of the disaster. They were everywhere, the captain declared. There were men, women, and children. All had life preservers on. I counted 125, then grew sick of the sight. There may have been as many as 150 or 200 bodies. A short time before, about 50 or 60 miles north, we passed five icebergs in succession. Our lookout sighted them in time, however, and we had no difficulty avoiding them. Why didn't you slow down and take... I'm sorry. Why didn't you slow down and take on some of the bodies? He asked. He was asked. Uh, It was absolutely useless for the simple reason that we had no means for caring for them. He said that he knew the cable steamer, the Mackie Bennett, was searching for bodies and that he communicated with its commander informing them of where bodies were. In the inquiry from the Titanic, Frank Evans was a uh, sailor and one of the survivors. He was on one of the lifeboats that had gone back to look for more survivors, describing scores of bodies. You could hardly count them, he said. He said he was afraid that if he kept looking, he would have a nervous breakdown, but confirmed that they did have life belts on. Another survivor, a second-class passenger, Mary Davis Wilburn, was quoted as saying, The dead came up holding children in their arms. The poor people never had a chance. Side note? She was actually the longest-lived survivor, having uh, died in 1987 at the age of 104. Oh, wow. And was one of only 30 left of the of the surviving victims of the Titanic. I guess you can call them victims of the Titanic. Um, well, only 30 of the survivors had been left at the time to see the discovery in 1985, and she was one of them. All right. During the second day of the British inquiry, another sailor aboard the Titanic, Joseph Skerritt, testify that the wreckage and bodies had clustered together and that there were actually more bodies than wreckage. They had seen a survivor and endeavored to get him onto the boat. Quote, it took us a good half hour to get to him through the bodies. We could not row the boat. We had to push them out of the way and force the boat up to this man. So the fact that Captain Rostrin of the Carpathia saw nothing but a single body sounds like a bunch of bullshit. Even one of the Carpathia's passengers said that the waters were thick with bodies. The captain of the Californian, Stanley Lord, he also claimed that he only saw wreckage and no bodies, which scientifically makes no sense. And we'll talk about that later, too. (laughs) Uh, In Rostrin's testimony, he claimed that he did not bring the body aboard for the sake of the survivors, which I mentioned earlier. He said, I did not take him aboard for one reason. The Titanic's passengers then were knocking about the deck, and I did not want to cause any unnecessary excitement or any more hysteria among them. So I steamed past trying to get them not to see it. His testimony was just super sketch, though. But I can understand that mentality of, like, they've been through so much 
already at this point. Yeah, I mean, I get that. But he was like, they were all women. They were hysterical. Well, yeah. Yeah. But that's more of a sign of the times than yeah. it is anything else, I think. Um, see, my big thing is, like, he was known as this, like, ideal company man. And he worked on the Carpathia, which was White Star's competitor under the Cunard line. Um, but this sinking had a potential to look really bad for business for luxury liners. So it's said that he was in this, he was in constant contact with the people from Cunard um, in New York. And had been working with um, the surviving company president of White Star, Bruce Ismay. So essentially, he would have said anything in his testimony, or he wouldn't have said anything in his testimony that made the company or the industry look bad. Yeah. Um, the one article I was reading from Encyclopedia Titanica suggested that his testimony was really weak, and he basically gave himself a lot of room to backpedal. Um, at one moment, saying that if a captain didn't follow company orders, he'd be at risk of at risk of dismissal and then in the next section saying nobody tells the captain what to do (laughs) um he was praising captain smith saying oh he did all the right things he was great um it was just really dodgy like oh i think i have a portion of one of the testimonies that's he's being questioned by senator william a smith smith asks uh what would be a safe reasonable speed for a vessel of that size on such a course in proximity of icebergs Rostin replies, of course, I do not know the ship. I know absolutely nothing about her. Smith said, how would you have felt about it? Suppose you had been taking that course with your ship. How fast would you have felt it prudent to go in such a situation? He said, I can only tell you this, gentlemen. I knew there was ice about. I knew the Titanic had struck ice. Therefore, I was prepared to be in the vicinity of ice when I was getting near him. Because if he had struck a berg, I was going to and I was going to his position, I knew very well that there must be ice about. I went I went full speed all we could. And Smith cuts him off and said, you went full speed. And Rostin said, I did. I doubled my lookouts. I took extra precautions and I ex- exerted extra village- vi- oh my God. vigilance. Every possible care was taken. Smith said, you had a smaller ship, however, and it would respond more readily to a signal. Rostin said, no. Smith said, would it not? And Rostin said, no, sir, it would not. I do not maintain that for one moment. So, like, it's yeah. kind of like a real wishy-washy answer. He's super sketchy. That's super... Mm. So, it's worth noting that his testimony was also given before the reports of the bodies seen from the Bremen made it back to the U.S. That's like saying that it's the same to drive my Prius as it is to drive an 18 wheel. Yes, exactly. That's basically like... what he said. Maybe, I mean, that might be a little... It's the same driving a, a U-Haul as it is driving a big rig. Yeah. You know, like, they're they're kind of same in concept, but different in actual, like, action. Yeah. Like, you would need to break a big rig a lot faster than you would a U-Haul. Yeah. There's a or reason a why sooner. you have to go... There's a reason why you have to go into special training to be able to drive a big yeah. rig and you don't for a U-Haul. Yeah. He also described the boats they worked on as, quote, practically unsinkable and that a, it, was, it was a lifeboat within itself and that the Titanic was an abnormal circumstance. I do, I do honestly agree with that. I mean, it was an extent. abnormal circumstance. Like, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, like, I was watching, um, it's been a little while, but I was watching something, we were watching something about the history of the Titanic and we got our interest peaked in it very briefly and it was basically saying like if one of these things yeah hadn't happened then the whole situation may have been avoided if they had slowed down if they had not had that big fire like 
Because that was the thing. If the bulkheads could hold, or if four bulkheads were filled with water, it could have stayed afloat. Yeah. But it was that coal bunker number five wall that like basically just released water to everybody else. Yeah. Um, If the rivets weren't made of iron that got brittle and just literally unzipped the boat. (laughs) Like (laughs) there were so many things that if if one of those things had been different, it's a big what if like that could have saved so many people. But that's just yeah. not how it happened. I don't like, even if even if the boat had if the ship hadn't sunk. Yeah. Like if it hadn't broken and sunk yep. in into the water, then like being adrift at sea, yeah, that that sucks, but you should have provisions enough to have made it back, you know. Yeah. You should have enough provisions to be able to wait for another ship to come, even two it would have to be two. Yeah. To get all the people off of the Titanic. But like that's manageable. It's yeah. that it sunk that was the, the real problem. <laughs> yeah. And so that's true. But there is a lot more to these sketchy transcripts than what we're talking about. But I'm on page nine and I haven't talked about like any bodies yet. So we're going to talk about those. <laughs> okay. But I will say real quick, Ismay, the guy who um, the Nazis tried to pin it on and all of that, he was on a lifeboat. Yeah. And everybody like, called him out for it in fact yeah. one newspaper called him jay brute ismay instead of jay brute <laughs> that's good that's but clever. that guy was actually enemies like they he had been uh they had had a falling out basically and so this guy in and owned this new york or this uh u.s newspaper and basically did that on intentionally and was like trying to paint him as this really shitty guy uh because I mean... because he wouldn't do any interviews or he wouldn't answer certain questions about the olympic um accident yeah and that's what made them have a falling out uh he did not recover emotionally from that and was super fucking depressed and basically resigned immediately and died in fucking recluse (laughs) like he was he became a nobody i mean that's fair uh like how how do you recover from something like that but and there's there's different accounts on whether or not he actually was like let me in a boat because some people were like yeah he like demanded he had his own fucking crew to row him around and then other people were like no he was on the boat helping people get in and was ordered into a boat yeah so it it who knows what just happened you know yeah i mean it, everything is such chaos yep. too in those situations because like, i remember watching um something where like people were were falling trying to get like falling over the edge trying yeah. to get into the lifeboats because they were putting people in them as they were lowering them. yeah <laughs> like, so let's get to those 1500 dead bodies yay there's no knowing exactly how many dead or how many people died on the titanic because there's no knowing how many people were actually aboard that's that might sound strange but there were efforts made to keep stowaways from getting on board but we don't know how many might have made it through there are no primary sources that mention any stowaways save for these accusations that were made against a chinese couple that had purchased tickets in an effort to emigrate so yay racism yeah but it's easy to think that you would have these big like steamer chests and stuff yeah. with people moving you could very easily drill a couple holes in that that no one would see and put and kids a- in there yep. or even adults uh, others may have purchased tickets, but then canceled their plans or just didn't get to the dock on time. There's also mention of some anecdotal evidence of people canceling due to bad feelings or premonitions. That would be me. I wouldn't end up on that boat. Could be like, I don't know, I just get a bad feeling about this. Well, I didn't, 
I didn't end up including it in my section of notes, but uh, Violet Jessup, when I get to her section of the Titanic, she almost didn't go because she had a bad, bad feeling. She had a bad feeling. Yeah. Well, there was one, uh, I think it was on the second, I I talked about tasting history. He's doing like a whole month of different menu items from the Titanic and he's talking about Titanic. And I think it's in the second class episode he just put out. He said there was one couple and the woman, the wife wouldn't sleep during the night she would stay awake at night and walk the decks because she had a bad feeling she said that the idea of them trying to pass off a ship as unsinkable or practically unsinkable or whatever the case may be like was a prometheus situation and flew in the face of god and that he was going to sink the ship on purpose as a as a punishing the hubris situation well and so she was up and awake and got her and her child on a lifeboat but her husband never made it and aj says to me he's like well he couldn't like imagine trying to live that down for the rest of your life you're like telling your wife the whole time it's gonna be fine nothing bad's gonna happen (laughs) and then the ship sinks he's like nope i'm staying nope can't go (laughs) can't go but yeah i was like so i would probably be that person because i get icky feelings about everything like literally everything even if nothing bad actually does happen yeah i do the same thing my anxiety sometimes it's just like but what if <laughs> but what like... if uh yeah so there were cases of missing or a mistaken identity or intentional like incognito sort of traveling documents were missing or stolen there was one fireman uh he was one of the guys down in the engines shoveling coal not like a i'm putting out fires fireman uh he was thought to have turned up or he was thought to be dead, but then turned up very much alive at his mother's house. Uh, so unfortunately, the number of dead goes up also, if you include the possibility of pregnancies. Um, there was only one, I think, reported pregnancy on a first class situation. And I think only the first and second class actually had to report their pregnancies, not the third class. So depends on how you feel about that. And speaking of third class, I do want to talk about this real quick. The I know that in the, in the movie Titanic with Leo and Kate, there's that scene where they lock the steerage passengers down below deck. Mm-hmm. That's not exactly how it went down. So I mentioned that most of the third class passengers were immigrating to the U.S. And the U.S. immigration laws at the time required physical examinations with a ship's doctor. And all of the third class public areas were not upholstered and in order to protect people from spreading lice or things like that. But there were also areas that were gated off in an effort to keep the third class from commingling with first and second class. And yes, they were frequently locked, but they weren't locked with some kind of malicious intent to drown the pores. Yeah. Um, they'd actually been opened when the sinking started, but it was too late. That said, third class did have to navigate a labyrinth of hallways and stairs to reach the boat decks, and they were the last to be informed. So by the time many got there, they're only chance of survival were life belts and the lifeboats had basically already all launched with very few people on board yeah each class uh, had its own access to decks and should have had its own lifeboats but third class had none so it was less malicious intent and more of an unthinking obedience to regulations with deadly results yep also the third class passengers who did survive did not get their own testimonies in the inquiries uh, they were represented they were represented by a lawyer Third class, one lawyer. <laughs> Testimonies from the crew members generally said that third class were hesitant to board lifeboats when they were able to because they had to leave their baggage behind. Bringing us back to they were immigrants. This was all they had to start their new life with. Yeah. So let's talk about how everybody died. So most people think Titanic drowning. 
but you'd be surprised. Hypothermia was likely the prime cause of death. As I mentioned, the water was around 28 degrees Fahrenheit. And once the body's temperature drops beneath 95 degrees Fahrenheit or 35 degrees Celsius, the temperature regulator in your brain goes kind of haywire and organs start shutting down, death coming soon after. And even if you got out of the water into a boat, your odds weren't great because you're sitting around in wet clothes in the cold air. Not a great mix. Now, there were survivors um, from the water who were holding on to an overturned collapsible lifeboat um, who were able to keep their body temperatures high enough to survive because they were exercising. They were maintaining the um, the boat like they had to keep themselves afloat on holding onto the collapsible lifeboat there. And one famous survivor was Charles uh, Joffin, the drunk baker that you see riding down on the stern at the end of the movie. Uh-huh. Um, he ended up he actually did that. And he claimed that he saw a polar bear waving at him. <laughs> It was suggested that he likely survived due to the amount of alcohol in his system, but science kind of refutes that. So he was also latched onto a boat that had overturned at one point, and it was possible he just survived in a similar fashion to the others. And there was probably no polar bear. Uh, <laughs> probably. There's still some. <laughs> still some potential. So other n- natural causes may have caused death, uh, like a stroke or a heart attack brought on by stress and fear of the traumatic experience. Yeah. Um, injuries from falling. Against other people, against objects, against the water. Also a likely scenario, uh, especially as things got more steep. Some could have fallen from around 200 feet. Uh, Even if you don't, even if you did fall or jump into the water with a life belt, hoping that that would save you, no drills had been run. So many didn't understand that there was a method on how to hold yourself when you hit the water. And since they didn't have that practice, a lot of people likely snapped their necks on impact when reaching the water surface. Some people were probably crushed in a funnel of water or potentially under the stern or by heavy objects coming loose when the boat snapped apart. Uh, An unlikely but still plausible option was compression. So like if you're unfortunate enough to find an air pocket in the underside of the ship and you made it down far enough for the outstanding pressure to kill you. There is some evidence that there was at least one suicide. And I don't mean people who decided to stay on board. um, But a couple of noteworthy ones that did uh, were Isidore and Ida Strauss. Um, They owned Macy's at the time. Both were offered seats on a uh, lifeboat. But Isidore refused to disobey the women and children order. And his wife, Ida, stayed behind reportedly saying, where you go, I go, which made me cry. And neither survived. Another first-class passenger to stay behind was Benjamin Guggenheim, brother of the museum guy. He and his, he and his valet uh, got dressed up in their formal attire, and Guggenheim reportedly said, We've dressed up in our best and are prepared to go down like gentlemen. His body was also never recovered. I'm also not talking about the captain, like, I'm going down with the ship sort of shit either. I'm talking about intentional suicides, like shooting or hanging or that kind of thing. Um, the suicide of an officer was reported. Most famously, it was reported as Officer... First Officer Murdoch, who had been in charge of the bridge at the time of the collision, which wouldn't be super surprising. Um, suicide would have been considered taboo and cowardly even, which it sometimes still is today. Like if you think about 9-11 and the people jumping out of the buildings, there were so many people who didn't want to say, that's my brother. Like they were like, he wouldn't have been a coward. He would have stayed and tried to help. And it's like, yo, if you're if you're in a really fucking hot building, you get, you got a choice. I can go out breathing or I can choke on smoke which one am i gonna pick yeah so yeah some survivors reported hearing gunshots um claiming that people had been shot to death which to be honest yes please and thank you i'd rather take that than drowning or freezing to death just just shoot me in the head 
The bodies of the dead were left to float on the ocean or just under its surface, as I mentioned, with winds and waves moving them in all directions, the last of which was found on June of that year, nearly two months after the sinking. Many who ended up in the ocean didn't have life belts or they didn't have them when they hit the water. Um, so an estimated 700 to 1,000 ended up in the water, and one-third to one-half of those died on or before impact. While the ship likely hit the bottom of the ocean in less than 30 minutes after clearing the surface, people take much longer to do so, which is why I said that the idea that he saw wreckage but no bodies was bullshit. The osmosis process would have provided decomposing bodies filled with gases a slow descent from, to the bottom. Um, it could have taken weeks, given them plenty of time to be pushed around by the ocean currents. And once they did reach the bottom, they'd have been fish food. <laughs> Others never made it off the ship. And these likely would have been the worst deaths, as some of them never got an explanation of what was happening, what had happened, why their American dream was shattered at, as the ship's hull. And others expected a rescue from those in the upper classes that would, that would never come. Those in the bow of the ship likely died first, purely from the sheer amount of water taken aboard. And that's likely all we're ever to really know about the Titanic's dead from first-hand accounts. On September 1st, 1985, the wreck site was located approximately two and a half miles below the surface in a joint expedition by France and the U.S., led by Robert Ballard. James Cameron, yes, the movie guy, um, has gone to the wreckage more than any person, like 33 times in the most recent one I read, um, and there have been no human remains found among the ocean floors in terms of skeletons. Now, Ballard suggested that this is because at that depth of the ocean, the water is undersaturated in calcium carbonate, so the bones simply dissolve into solution at that point. Though he did say he wouldn't be surprised if there were bodies deeper in the ship that might still have air in them or weren't exposed to elements. Yeah. What they have found, however, are pairs of shoes and clothing displayed in such a way that a human would have fallen. The way that leather was treated at the time means that most of the leather products down there are still there. That's crazy. Yeah. Now, finally, in January of 2020, the wreckage of the Titanic finally became a protected site. And it's now protected from treasure hunters, a.k.a. grave robbers, by a treaty between the UK and US, ensuring that the site remains a resting place for those several hundred people who died on April 15th. So that's that's that. I'm surprised that we don't have more. I mean, I know that there is some footage and stuff from within the sunk Titanic, mm -hmm. but I'm surprised that we don't have more by now with like underwater drones and oh, that yeah. kind of stuff. Like, it all could just even like exploring more into it. It could be a, I mean, obviously, there are going to be shut doors and things like yeah. that. You can't necessarily open them because it could be someone's resting place or whatever. But like the open areas and common areas, I'm surprised that we don't have like, here's our four hour documentary of just, you know, like, <laughs> of David all the things our drone found like, in the, yeah, <laughs> narrating the what they found what our drone found in the titanic i feel like yeah like the, it, it does surprise me and it also surprises me that there's so many like clips of the titanic in quotes and it's actually just the olympic like yeah. they really didn't get much footage of her at all she was basically like i'm on fire bye <laughs> <laughs> i feel like after that um all of those things i just spouted at you um you're about to start like it's been 84 years <laughs> But yeah, uh, that's, uh, I hope that was educational. <laughs> no, I enjoyed it. Uh, I don't know a ton. I wasn't, I wasn't a Titanic kid, 
You know, like, some people get, like, really, they see that movie for the first time, and they just get, like, really invested in, like, the story and stuff of it. I like, definitely wasn't that, like... Like how some kids saw Jurassic Park and became dinosaur kids? Looking at you, Jordan. Yeah. Or, like, some people saw space movies and were, like, space kids. Yeah. Or I saw The Addams Family and I became a goth, goth kid. kid. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yep. Feel exactly. that. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> mine was all real monsters that really got me on that goth train that's yeah that's when you became a gremlin yep um so i have limited wee woos limited uh, wee woos huh said limited wee woos (laughs) this limited time wee woos because uh i've just got multiple ships that sink got it (laughs) and obvious loss of life as a result um so violet constance jessup was born on october 2nd 1887 near Bahia Blanca, Argentina, to Irish immigrants William and Catherine. And I went on a kick because I was like, well, I looked up that uh, Jack Unterweger was a, a Leo, so let me look, let me check her out. So she's a Libra. Oh, okay. And I was uh, speculating that maybe that balance um, is important to her survival, because, man, does she survive some shit in her life? <laughs> All right, I love it. So she was the first of nine children, six of which survived, uh, which is pretty good for the time. Yeah. So this is a pretty solid amount of children. Yeah. Um, like many eldest siblings in large families, Violet spent much of her own childhood caring for her younger siblings. Like a quiverful situation. <laughs> as a child, Violet fell ill with what was assumed to have been ter- tuberculosis, and even though the doctors predicted... Uh, that the illness would be fatal and were like preparing her parents for her loss and things like that. Uh, Violet survived. She was like, get fucked, TB. <laughs> when she was when she was 16, she lost her father um, from complications from a surgery and the family moved to England where she would attend a convent school and care for her youngest sister while her mother worked on ships as a stewardess. Her mother became ill and had to stop being a stewardess and Violet left school to work to try to support the family as a boat stewardess, as her mother had. That's nice of her. Um, so she actually had to dress down and make herself less attractive in order to be hired, because the majority of stewardesses on the boats were, like, in their 40s. Oh, damn. And um, they were concerned that she was, like, too attractive to be Do her job? Stu- well, it wasn't that too attractive to do her job, but too she would be distracting. Oh. I guess was more of the concern. You know, like you can't wear a tank top at school because you'll distract <laughs> the, the boys. But like, let me tell you, you know, Violet Jessup was not an unattractive woman. I I can kind of see, you know, why they were like, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, I looked up. <laughs> I looked her up when when I was telling we were talking about like what we were gonna do, and I said, "Are you are you still doing that, lady?" <laughs> um. <laughs> I saw this book cover. It was like her 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 biography or something, and she was just like standing there, like real elegant and shit. And I was like, "Damn, okay." <laughs> yeah, um, and like I said, she was only twenty one when she started, and most of the women would be in their forties. Right. So that's a distinct difference. And even though she didn't like was she did all this, she dressed down. She wasn't allowed to wear makeup, like all these different things. Uh, she still had three marriage proposals. Hell yeah. <laughs> I envy you, bitch. Um, so when she was 21, she got her first stewardess position with the Royal Mail Line aboard the Ornico, Orno, Orno, Ornoco, 
Orinoco. Keep trying. In, <laughs> in 1908. Um, in this first position, she was working 17 hours a day. Damn. Um, for two pounds and ten shillings a month, which comes out to about 240 pounds today. Uh, and that is about $314 USD today. Dang. For a month's work of 17 hour days. Oof. Don't like that. Uh, in 1911, Violet began working as a stewardess for the White Star Vessel, the RMS Olympic. Oh shit, I've spoiled it. <laughs> <laughs> this was a luxury ship that was the largest civilian liner at the time. On September 20th, 1911, the Olympics set out from Southampton and collided with the British warship, the HMS Hawk. Luckily, there were no fatalities, and despite the damage, the ship was able to make it back to port without sinking. And man, I don't know if you've seen pictures of the hole in the Olympic. It's huge. Yep. It's like a dude could walk through it with no problem. That would explain why why Smith was so confident, because he was the captain of the Olympic. He was just like, yeah, "Yeah, look, this Navy vessel just totally busted me open, but I was cool. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Yeah, like, and it's it's one of those things where it's like a confident, uh, an overconfident situation. But I can totally see why he was so yeah. confident. Yeah. Because like like I said, look up a picture, or maybe Casey will share it with the the notes, um, or the episode info. But the the hole on the Olympic is sizable. Yeah, tis. Like it definitely seems like if I, if you showed me that boat, I would be like, oh yeah, and then that boat started sinking <laughs> immediately. Um, so, like I said, luckily there were no fatalities on the Olympic, and she continued to work on the Olympic until April, uh, 1912, when she was transferred to the sister ship of the Olympic, the RMS Titanic. Which, in case I didn't say it, Royal Mail Ship. Ah. They carried mail. Okay, that's all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, she can, uh, sorry, I just said that. Violet boarded the Titanic on April 10th, 1912. And like I said, in Casey's segment, she had to be kind of convinced by a friend of hers to take the the position because she didn't initially want to. Um, What I found was that she just kind of had like, after the Olympic, she was just kind of a little nervous about it and just had kind of a bad feeling, maybe wanted to take a little bit of time to sort of chill. Um, But... There is no no rest for the the boat stewardess, evidently. Um, So four days later, the Titanic struck an iceberg and sank over the course of two hours and 40 minutes after the collision. Like Casey just explained in length. (laughs) Um, Too much length. (laughs) Not too much length. Um, She would describe in her memoirs that she was ordered up on deck to serve as an example of how to behave for non-English speakers who were not or could not follow the instructions. That's racist. Yep. Um, She would explain that she would explain watching as the crew loaded lifeboats and she was ordered into into lifeboat 16 and she was being lowered when she was just handed a baby (laughs) to look after. Okay. Um... The next morning, Violet and the rest of the survivors were rescued by the Carpathia and taken to New York on April 18th. While aboard the Carpathia, a woman grabbed the baby from Violet's arms and ran off crying without saying a word. Well, I really hope that was her baby. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what the article said, too. It's like, uh, we assume that that was the mother. <laughs> I was like, oh, good. <laughs> that would be a, a good end to that story. Somebody needs um, a good ending here. <laughs> Shortly after arriving in New York, she returned to Southampton. How 
she would get back on a fucking boat. I don't even know. That's, <laughs> like, that's strike two, too. That's not even, like, the first yeah. scary experience. Um, so Violet would serve as a stewardess on the HMHS Britannic during World War One, which was the younger sister ship of the Titanic, and the Britannic had been converted into a hospital ship. Y'all just and need so- to stop making ships. <laughs> Yeah, so she joined the war effort as a nurse on the Britannic. She's probably like, oh, fuck, not again. (laughs) (laughs) Using her experience as a stewardess, she she knew that she had sea legs. She knew that she could do it. um, So that's what she agreed to do. What a good lady. Um, On November 21st, 1916, the HMHS Britannic would begin to sink Mm -hmm. in the Aegean Sea after a mysterious explosion. Was it um, a German U-boat or some shit? No, so during a diving expedition on the wreck in 2016, it was actually determined that the ship had struck a deep sea mine. Ah. There was a lot of theory that it was a U-boat that had done it. Yeah, there that's was even There was even a theory that um, the England had fired upon their own boat oh, no. to cover something up that happened. Um, that they intentionally sank the boat. But it was um, a mine? Yeah, it was a mine. Huh. The Britannic sank within 55 minutes and killed, uh, only killed 32 people of the over 1,000 people on board. Okay, statistically, not bad. Yeah, and I mean, this is a hospital boat, too. Yeah. So there had to have been people who they just couldn't move yeah. on to, you know, to get out. Um, and as it sank, Violet, oh, let me, before I get into that. Um, she also said that it was such a stark difference between how people reacted on the Britannic versus how people reacted on the Titanic. Yeah. And that's 100% what she believes was the contributing factor to why so many people survived on the Britannic versus the Titanic is because as soon as there was an explosion, everybody was in positions. Like she was saying that she was like in the mess hall um getting something because she had a a nurse friend of hers that was sick i don't know if she was injured or she was just sick and she said as soon as the explosion happened she was like carrying something and dropped it because the whole boat shook and um as soon as it happened like all of the men who were in the mess hall just like were leaping over tables and like running to their positions to go figure out what happened get start getting people off and into lifeboats doing everything that the titanic should have done as soon as they realized there was a problem that was one of the big things that probably seems to me in like watching in retrospect and and seeing how those things played out was the most just like fucking jarring that people were not only thinking well nothing's wrong take off your life belt you're causing a scene like yeah not only that but then the people were like actually i feel safer on the boat like if 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 the captain had given that like abandoned ship order so many people more people would have taken it seriously and they like, probably would have actually loaded the lifeboats yes. to capacity. Yeah, some of the officers were saying that they thought that 65 people were too many for the lifeboats. It's like, if that's its capacity, it's its capacity. Let's go. And some of those lifeboats that were floating around were picking up survivors, like I mentioned from the other two officers yeah. who were trying to find survivors. One of the lifeboats had 70 people on it by the end. Yeah. So there was clearly enough room, guys. Well, and I mean, looking at the boats, like looking at pictures of the lifeboats and stuff, it's like, you know, when when the survivors were getting 
yeah. were being found. Those boats don't look like they should be able to hold 65 people. They don't. But, like, you sit on laps. You stand up. Yep. You do whatever you gotta do. You like, lay under a rug and you, you're you somebody's kid. <laughs> yeah, you, you put children underneath the, the seats. Yep. You know, like, you figure it out. Yep. Like, that that was one of the biggest things to me was that people were literally just like, no, nah, we're going to stay here and dance. And I was like, the fuck is wrong with you, people? <laughs> but so many thought it was just a drill because they weren't seeing anybody. The band was still playing. Like, you know. Yeah. The, no one was treating it like, like it, it was, was an emergency. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so the problem with the sinking of the Britannic was that uh, the Britannic was still running. Oh. And so... Um, as it sank, Violet and the other passengers who were in the lifeboats were getting sucked towards the propellers of the Britannic. And she witnessed several of them colliding oh, no. with the propellers of the, the Britannic and that it was just basically a human slurry. It oh, was just like dear God, dropping humans into a blender. And so... She had basically everybody abandoned the lifeboat in an effort to swim away. away. Yeah. And um, so she's the only one left in the lifeboat. And she has a choice of either jumping and trying to swim away or getting sucked into the propellers and probably dying. Uh, But she doesn't know how to swim. Oh, no. So she decides it's now or never. I got to figure out. Something. I'm learning how to swim right now. Yeah, and so she jumps out of the lifeboat. It's um, not that hard, Violet. You got this. Does not make it. Oh, no. Gets sucked into the propellers, hits her head on something, but survives. Jesus Christ. And somehow does not get completely torn to pieces by these propellers. Wow. Um, she did, however, res- like suffer a traumatic head injury. Um, like I said, which she again survived and had no noticeable prolonged effects wow. uh, aside from severe headaches that she finally went to a doctor for when she was older because it, it didn't bother her initially. Um, but as she aged, she started suffering from these really kind of debilitating headaches and migraines. And she went to the doctor and the doctor did an x-ray of her head. And she was just, And he was like, oh, did you know you fractured your skull at one point? And she was like, oh, that probably happened when I hit whatever I hit underneath the Britannic when, yeah. I, when I got sucked under. And it's like, can you imagine explaining that to a fucking doctor, though? <laughs> yeah, I was on the Britannic and I got sucked into the blades and it hit my head on something. Um, and yeah. And from what I, I watched on... Um, puppet history there was this moment where she gets out of this all and she's like floating or she's been picked up on a lifeboat she like opens her eyes and just the whole ocean is just red with blood from everyone who got eaten by the propeller and then she just closed her eyes (laughs) like just laid back down and i was like you know what i don't blame you yeah no seriously like what there's nothing you can do about this yep um so Violet Jessup does have a very extensive autobiography memoir um, of her life that's supposed to be, from all accounts that I've heard, very, very interesting. Because this isn't even just, like, she had, like, a torrid love affair, and there's something about, like, she fought an alligator. Like, there's- What? She's been through some shit. I couldn't find any of that in my searches, so I assume it's in her book. 
Um, but so she would later recall what she witnessed at the sinking of the Britannic as quote, the white pride of the ocean's medical world dipped her head a little, then a little lower, then still lower. All the deck machinery fell into the sea like child's toys. Then she took a fearful plunge, her stern rearing hundreds of feet in the air until with a final roar, she disappeared into the depths. End quote. What? What? You didn't like that? <laughs> Did you hear that? No. He's just like, meow. <laughs> meow. It's like, oh, fuck, dude. Um, so what, what does one do when you survive three boat traumatic events i mean if 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 i know anything from her fucking pattern she got back on another boat she returned to work for white star line in 1920 (laughs) she didn't even change companies god at least work for cunard well i think cunard and white star ended up merging eventually i don't know if that's true or not but um she would eventually move from white star to red star oh and then back the soviet version and then back to the royal mail line again Um, While working on the Red Star Line, she went on two cruises around the world in the company's largest ship, largest ship, the the Belgian land. Okay. Belgian lands. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. uh, In her late 30s, she had a brief marriage um, and she retired in 1950. She lived her remaining years in Great Ashfield, Suffolk. Um, and some years into her retirement, she res- received a very interesting phone call where the person on the other line asked if Violet had saved a baby on the night the Titanic sank. And she responded that she had. And the person said, I was that baby. Hi. And then, and then laughed and hung up. I am baby. Um, her friend and biographer, laughed John. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Click. <laughs> Her friend and biographer, John Maxtone Graham, which, what a name, uh, suggested that it was probably just kids in the town playing a prank on her, but she asserted that she had never told anyone that story before, hmm. that she had, she had saved a baby, um, and until, like, she was working with John to write her autobiography and, uh, her memoirs, and so he was actually, at the time, the only other person that knew and she had just told him about this um the records of the titanic indicate that there was a baby on lifeboat 16 and their name was Assad thomas who was reunited with his mother on the carpathia well thanks violet uh violet jessup died of congestive heart failure in 1971 at the age of 83 dang get it she survived <laughs> three of arguably like the biggest ship traumatic events like for england <laughs> ever and was just like you know what you know what sounds good getting on another boat yeah <laughs> that sounds good i'd be like never again yeah i'm like i don't know that i could do it after after the olympic and that didn't that wasn't even as bad like no one died no it didn't no. sink like and i mean i assume the britannic like you have to kind of go in with the the possibility that you could get sunk it's a war yeah i mean if you're in any kind of war situation i just assume you know you're potentially giving up your life yeah even though like it is a medical boat so it would have been marked you know but i don't know that the nazis really cared i was gonna say the nazis Nazis didn't give a fuck it wasn't the nazis was world war one but germany didn't care germany didn't care i mean 
uh, proto-Nazis. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we kind of got a, a happy ending. Kind of, yeah. She, she lived Congestive long... heart failure is way better than sinking in a boat, maybe. I, mean, I don't know. And, and she lived a long and colorful life. Yeah, fighting alligators. She had a very, uh, very exceedingly unique life experience <laughs> that I hope none of our listeners ever have to yeah. go through. <laughs> but if you did fight an alligator, we want to know. True. Well, thanks for joining us today as we discussed a couple of stories from the Titanic and the surrounding issues <laughs> of the Titanic. Uh, we hope that you'd reach out. Ugh. We hope that you will reach out to us with your own experiences. We want your stories, your questions, and your feedback. So just send us an email at strangeunusualpodcast at gmail.com. And if you are sending a story, we just ask that you put listener story in the subject line so that we can sort through them a little more easily. So yeah, do you know anybody who might have been on the Titanic or survived the Titanic? or anything else to do with the titanic yeah i mean or any of the the sister ships like realistically yeah probably some world war one stories about the britannic do you uh do you think that j brute ismay <laughs> deserved <laughs> his bad rap i want to know give it I tell kinda, us i i kind of think he did i mean he's a rich motherfucker i don't give a shit but i mean like it's also like knowingly taking advantage or, or making decisions to ignore things that yeah. make sense. We if don't you want have, to clutter up the deck. Yeah, like if you have the biggest boat in history, then you need to make sure that you are accommodating the biggest boat in history. Right. Like <laughs> Yeah, and if the if the third class had boat space and you already don't care about the third class, put more boats in their boat space. Right? Like um, I don't know, man. You can also find us on Instagram at strange underscore unusual underscore podcast or our personal accounts Roy Rampage and Calamity Casey where we post the weird shit in our personal lives. You can find us on Twitter at underscore strange unusual at Calamity Casey and at Roy Rampage. We're also on Facebook. Just search for the Strange Unusual Podcast. If you'd like, you can join us over on patreon.com slash strange unusual. Um, we've got bonus episodes. We've got access to a discord. We've got different things that you can do at different tiers um and we would love to have you but if you are unable to support us financially we totally get it right now everything is still crazy um but if you can just like share subscribe rate review um any of that kind of stuff helps us out a lot interact with us on social media um even you know retweeting or sharing our posts or just commenting on it uh we really like interacting with you guys yeah. Okay, bye. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, 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 what? Nope. Bye. Excellent work. <laughs>